This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Jody Vance in for Simi Sarah today. And the stories are pouring in about the victims of Ukraine Airlines Flight 752. 138 Canadians returning from holidays, weddings, headed back to school. Even not knowing victims, we can all feel the sadness and the loss. It's an emotional toll, unimaginable, though, for so many of us. Unfortunately, though, it is a reality for more than just those feeling the effects of the most current tragedy. Our colleague Janet Brown knows this pain and joins us now to talk about the long-term effects of losing a loved one in an air tragedy like this. Janet, thank you for being here. Well, it's my pleasure, Jody, to be here. Yes, um, you know, it's it's not easy to talk about grief. It's not easy to talk about feelings sometimes. But you know what? Sometimes we have to talk about that. And, you know, a plane crash, you never think it's going to happen to you or your family. Plane crashes and people dying in plane crashes, Jody. You know what? That stuff that happens to other people in faraway lands, that's how we think. Mm-hmm. But I learned uh, when my cousin died in a plane crash that yes, it can happen to anybody. If it can happen to my cousin, it can happen to you. It can happen to anyone. My cousin was on a British Midlands flight from London to Belfast, Northern Ireland. He was coming home from vacation January 8th, 1989. He had recently graduated as an accountant. He was only 24 years old. He was set to take over his father's business. He was on a plane when one of the engines of that plane went on fire The pilot turned around to go back to the airport, and while he was doing that, the pilot turned off the wrong engine, so the plane had no engines, and it ended up crashing in Kegworth, England, just short of the runway. 47 people were killed in that crash, including my cousin. And I remember getting that call that day, and I remember every detail of that call to this day, 31 years later, and my reaction and just falling to the floor and sobbing and not being able to process the information and thinking, you know, this can't be real. He was getting on a plane. Everything was fine yesterday. And and it brought it all home for me yesterday. I was thinking of those those poor families getting that same call, the shock of that call. What do you mean? My family's on a plane coming home. They were at a wedding. I just talked to them. They were just celebrating. I just got a text message from my wife or my relative. You are wrong. You must be crazy. This can't be happening. That's how you think when you get these kind of calls. And you know, Jody, I was thinking of that man in North Vancouver who runs the Amir Bakery on Lonsdale Avenue, who lost his wife and daughter. Imagine losing a wife and a daughter. My heart just breaks for that poor man. And I know how devastating losing my cousin, but losing a wife and daughter, how on earth do you even move forward from that? And everybody deals with grief differently, I think. And I think part of the grieving process is also asking the question, how or why did this happen? How did this plane crash happen? How did my mom get cancer and die, etc., etc.? And in this situation of this plane crash this week, right now we don't have any concrete answers, although we were are getting some new information um, that you've been reporting on, Jody, in the last half hour. But not knowing exactly what caused it, I think it only compounds the grief. And we always want answers because we want answers because we want to know who to blame. 
Who caused this? And, and I know in my own family, many people were blaming God. If, if God is all-knowing and God's in control and you believe in God, how could he let this happen? You know, it's just human nature to blame God. But, you know, God's not the person to blame in a lot of cases. Sometimes it's human error. Sometimes it's something else, which may be the case in this recent plane crash. Uh, you know, God does not control human thinking or actions. That's how we were created, to think for ourselves and and act on our own, but sometimes we will never know the why of something. And it's hard to leave that alone. It's human nature to want to know why something happened because we want to know who to blame in these situations. And it does Raleigh take you right back to 31 years ago and receiving that phone call. That's how you and I connected on this. I, I saw you post on Twitter how the events of the last 36 hours have really brought it all back for you. And Alan Regan, our producer, found some audio of an eyewitness of the Kegworth air disaster that your cousin uh, perished in. And it, it it's one of those things that I think is worth sharing. We debated this prior to the program uh, because we want to be very clear. This, this is an air disaster that was caused by as Janet, as you mentioned, a catastrophic mix of mechanical failure and human error. Two very difficult things to not lay heaps of blame on when you feel such incredible loss. But here is the audio from an eyewitness. Her name is Carol Harris, and she was speaking to Channel 4 News 31 years ago, almost to the day. Well, we heard the plane come over. We heard them come over because we're on a flight path, and it was obviously having trouble. The engine sounded awful, it was failing. He was having trouble, it was very, very low over the house. I looked out of the window, and as I saw it go towards the airport, I could see flames on the left-hand side. And as it went over the brow of the hill, the sky lit up and clouds shot up into the sky. So, Janet, that when, when Alan found that audio, and I listened to it, I thought of you, and I thought, how did you first hear about your cousin? Were you with family at the time or were you by yourself? Wow, that's really, that touches me hearing that audio, Jody. You know, I think, I think of the people that were on that plane. I think of the people that were on the plane this week. What were, go what was going through their minds? And when you asked me where I was, you know, I was working in the newsroom in CHNL in Kamloops and I was reporting on this plane crash. Oh I remember getting the messages coming over the old newswire, you know, the ticker in the newsroom. And, you know, I remember thinking, I knew the plane, uh, they had first reported that the plane was going from England to Belfast, and that's where my family all lives. And I remember immediately thinking, gosh, I hope nobody from my family is on that plane. It's the first thing, it's the automatic thing you think of, right? Mm. You know, I hope nobody's, nobody in my family's on that plane. And I had a terrible feeling that, you know, what if, what if somebody is on that plane? So you sort of, prepare yourself for these things and um and then but yeah, can you prepare yourself for the, these things because we've all sat in an airport i'm a horrible flyer uh, and i've been mm -hmm. i've been counseled numerous times it's safer to be on the aircraft than it is driving to mm -hmm. the airport we've all heard these things and yet when instances such as the kegworth air disaster happens the mechanical error coupled with human error how do you qualify? How do you place that? It, it would be similar in some degrees to 752 if it is proven that it was um, an errant 
anti-aircraft radar or trigger finger over a war zone? Uh, I think you, in, in my situation anyways, I, I have a sixth sense. I don't know if it's a God thing, if it's just an inner thing. But when I first received the news that an aircraft had gone down between London to Belfast, I just had something in me tell me that somebody from my family may be on it. And I think that's sort of preparing yourself for receiving bad news. Mm. You know, um, I, I don't shy away from bad news. I sort of lean into it and it does prepare you more. Um, when you say, you know, people are afraid to fly, I don't believe you, you, ha you can live in fear because, you know, if you live in fear all the time of whatever it is, you'd never leave your house. There are That's fearful true. things all around us, right? You have to step out in faith and just move forward. But in my situation, something in me told me that somebody from my family may be on that plane. And in some ways, when that was in the back of my mind, it prepared me for the bad news that I was to receive. Um, and as I say, this, you know, it's still a cousin. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't my husband or, or any of my children but still it's a loved one and these people losing wives and daughters and multiple people from their family gosh you know getting that call getting that call and not expecting that call um i sort of expected my bad call because i knew this plane had gone down these people getting the call in the middle of the night no you're not expecting it and i guess you know the next thing how do you move forward when you get this information, and, and part of that, as I say, is knowing the why something happened. You can't move forward until you know why it happened, because knowing why is part of the grieving process. And at the same time, you, you can't really dwell on the past. You have to be able to move forward somehow. And process and, and that. You and I went back and forth by DMs to talk about you coming on today and what the goal is really is to help people process and move forward. Even those who aren't direct family members of the victims of this tragedy, but also uh, the colleagues, uh, the, the schoolmates, so many of the British Columbians and in, in fact uh, Canadians are students uh, who were returning after weddings or, or just having the Christmas and winter holidays uh, overseas mm -hmm. with family. And all of a sudden, just gone. How do you process, how has your family processed and moved forward over the last 31 years? Well, Jody, you know, clearly I'm no expert. I am just speaking from experience yes. that I've gone through. And um, my cousin who died in the plane crash, you know what? His parents, his father in particular, he never got over his grief. And our family still says that uh, my uncle, he died of a broken heart. He did. He stopped living life. He just sat in a chair and he basically died at home. He never moved away from his grief. Uh, my aunt, she did. She got on with things. She got involved in the community and her church, uh, family help too. It's some, grief is something that you have to work at, but you also want to have to want to get out of that grief. How do we help people going through grief? Well, I've also learned a lot from from others. Uh, I, I learned a lot from a neighbor of mine too one time, Jody, uh, many years ago. She was from Lebanon and she said 
in their culture, when somebody dies, they automatically go and sit with them. They go to their house immediately and they sit there and they be still. They don't start babbling and talking. They just listen and sit with a person. And you know what? I found that to be so helpful. Just sitting and being with somebody. And I've learned that to do that for others as well when they're going through sorrow and grief or a loss. People don't want flowers. They don't want a bunch of questions about how old were they? What did they do? They don't want endless babble or distraction about other topics. They just want somebody to sit there and be still with them. You know, there's also grief classes that people can go to. Personally, um, after my mother died, I went to a grief class at the hospital where she died. I thought that might help me. Personally, that did not help me. It actually made me sadder. It made things worse for me, but for some people, it might help them. Um, it's important, I think, to be kind to ourselves, too, when we are grieving. Try to do things that give us joy. And usually that's the simple things in life that we don't often have time for in our busy, regular lives. And I use the word joy on purpose, Jody, instead of happy, mm. because we can't be happy when we are grieving. But we can be joyful through the sorrow, because I find that joy comes from our soul. It comes from somewhere within us. Happiness, I find, often comes from circumstances. We cannot be happy in grief, but we can be joyful and find joy in the little things because there are still things, despite the bad grief and the terrible sorrow, that can make us happy. Our children, uh, things that we enjoy, maybe that I say we don't often have time for. Now, prior to the break, Janet, you were also talking about sort of the stages of the grief after losing somebody so suddenly in a tragedy such as an air disaster, as your family did with your cousin. It, having someone to blame or something to blame is the obvious sort of next step where we're sitting perched with regard to Flight 752. Very true. And, you know, it's, it's terrible. But 31 years later, sometimes, you know, when I'm sad or whatever the word is, I actually still go online and research the Kegworth air disaster. I, I, I try to get some information, background information on the pilots who were in the cockpit. Why did they do what they did? But we'll never know that. Or, or who are the other, who were the other people on the plane who lost their lives and how have they been able to move forward? But you know what? It, it, it's easy to fall back into that sadness, but you always, have, I think, have to fight against it. You can never let it go because it's always part of you. You know, our circumstances in life are part of us who we become. We can never lose that, but we do, we can't stay there. We can't stay in the past. In, as I said before, jo Jody, in order to move forward, we do have to let the past go. We can't let it consume us and, and swallow us up. We yeah. have to try to keep moving forward. And that Come to means terms. Yeah. leaving the past behind. And, and you have to work at that sometimes every day. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's little by little by little. Well, Janet, I think you've helped someone, at least one, today. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you, Jody. As promised, we take you live now. Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, addressing the media. What happened yesterday was a tragedy.
a tragedy that shocked not only Canada, but the world. Before we go any further, I want to extend once again my most sincere condolences to the families of the victims and their loved ones. I and we are all standing with you. Since last addressing Canadians, there have been ongoing discussions since I last addressed Canadians. There have been ongoing discussions with foreign ministers, senior intelligence and military officials, including the fourth meeting of our incident response group. There have been important developments regarding the potential causes of this deadly crash, developments of which Canadians should be made aware. The news will undoubtedly come as a further shock to the families who are already grieving in the face of this unspeakable tragedy. We have intelligence from multiple sources, including our allies and our own intelligence. The evidence indicates that the plane was shot down by an Iranian surface-to-air missile. This may well have been unintentional. This new information reinforces the need for a thorough investigation into this matter. Canada is working with its allies to ensure that a thorough and credible investigation is conducted to determine the causes of this fatal crash. As I said yesterday, Canadians have questions and they deserve answers. Permettez-moi de répéter ce que je viens d'annoncer en français. Nous avons des renseignements provenant de différentes sources, notamment de nos services de renseignement et ceux de ceux de nos alliés. Ces renseignements indiquent que l'avion aurait été abattu par un missile surface-air iranien. C'est possible que ça ait été fait involontairement. Cette nouvelle vient confirmer la nécessité de mener une enquête approfondie dans cette affaire. Comme je l'ai dit hier, les Canadiens ont des questions et ils méritent des réponses. Le Canada travaille avec ses alliés pour faire en sorte qu'une enquête approfondie soit menée afin de déterminer les causes de cet écrasement tragique. Last night, Foreign Minister François-Philippe Champagne spoke with Iranian Foreign Minister Zarif. Minister Champagne made it clear that Canadian officials must immediately be granted access to Iran in order to provide consular services, identify the victims, and participate in a thorough investigation. He also condemned Iranian strikes that targeted military bases in Iraq where coalition forces, including Canadians, are currently stationed. Ministers, Minister Zarif committed to continuing this dialogue with Canada as we seek answers. I spoke with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky earlier today and conveyed my condolences to the many Ukrainians who perished in this tragedy. He assured me that Ukraine is taking all necessary measures to ensure a thorough investigation and we will work closely with Ukraine and our partners throughout this process. I also called Prime Minister Mark Rutte of the Netherlands. He shared with me his experience in handling the aftermath and investigation into Malaysian Airlines Flight 17. Je me suis également entretenu avec le président Macron, encore une fois aujourd'hui, 
Le président Macron nous offre son assistance alors que nous traversons ces moments extraordinairement difficiles. Je suis aussi en contact avec plusieurs autres dirigeants internationaux et les discussions se poursuivent. Nous allons continuer de travailler de près avec nos partenaires dans les jours et les semaines qui suivront. In light of this new information, it is now more important than ever that we know exactly how such a tragedy could have happened. The families of the victims and all Canadians want answers. I want answers. That means closure, transparency, accountability, and justice. And this government will not rest until we get that. Thank you for being here this morning. I'll now take your questions. So first question, Elaine Buzetti, and then we'll go to Glenn McGregor, CTV. Excusez-moi. Bonjour, M. Trudeau. Euh, vous avez dit que vous avez demandé la participation à l'enquête. J'aimerais savoir quelle est la réponse de l'Iran. Accepte-t-il notre participation? Euh, L'Iran euh, est en train de travailler avec euh, les, les enquêteurs ukrainiens à ce moment-ci, mais on continue de demander euh, d'avoir... <coughs> Pardon. On continue de demander euh, que des Canadiens soient impliqués euh, dans, cette, euh, dans cette enquête euh, et nous continuons d'avoir ces conversations. J'en comprends que ce n'est pas encore confirmé. Euh, concernant, con, considérant le contexte dans lequel ça s'est produit, dans quelle mesure considérez-vous que les États-Unis ont une part de responsabilité cons, considérant qu'ils ont créé la situation dans laquelle cet euh, incident est arrivé? Je pense qu'il y a beaucoup de questions euh, auxquelles les gens vont, vont réfléchir. On va euh, chercher des réponses. Euh, pour l'instant, ça souligne tout simplement l'importance d'avoir une enquête complète, crédible, pour qu'on ait euh, les faits sur lesquels on va pouvoir ensuite euh, pencher nos réflexions et notre euh, analyse. I think it underscores uh, how important it is that we have a thorough, credible investigation to allow us to then uh, draw conclusions and reflections once we have uh, assessed and established uh, the facts of what happened. Prime Minister, could you describe in some more detail the kind of information you have that indicates that this was a surface terror strike? Because this is, as you know, an extremely serious allegation, and Canadians are going to want to see proof that this is what had happened. Uh, the uh, intelligence and evidence uh, suggests that it is uh, likely that it was a surface to air strike, but I will not go into the details of that intelligence at this time. Uh, given that uh, the Iranians have denied this, and there's reports they're bulldozing the crash site, they've claimed the, the flight and uh, voice and data recorders have been damaged. Do you trust them that they haven't actually already compromised the investigation at this point? Do, do you think it's a possibility that, that, that we won't get a real answer here? We uh, have highlighted that it is extremely important that there be a thorough and credible investigation on site of the crash with uh, international partners. Uh, the Iranians have indicated that they understand that, uh, but the conclusions we have uh, been able to draw on the, or the preliminary conclusions we've been able to draw uh, based on intelligence and evidence today are clear enough for me to share them with Canadians right now. So next up, uh, Catherine Levesque, de la presse canadienne. Bonjour, M. Trudeau. Euh, Pouvez-vous nous dire à ce moment-ci si l'Iran a accepté de partager les boîtes noires euh, avec le Canada ou la France et quelles sont les prochaines étapes euh, là-dessus? Euh, pour l'instant, euh, l'Iran a indiqué euh, qu'il euh, allait garder les boîtes noires euh, chez eux, euh, mais ils ont indiqué au président Zelensky de l'Ukraine euh, que les enquêteurs ukrainiens, euh, au moins, allaient avoir accès à ces boîtes noires. 
the uh, the Iranian authorities have indicated that they uh, wish to keep the black boxes in uh, Iran, uh, but have indicated to President Zelensky of Ukraine that Ukrainian investigators uh, would uh, have access to those black boxes. Et comment pouvez-vous faire confiance à l'Iran actuellement qui demande les informations que vous venez de nous partager? You've been listening to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau addressing the country live about the tragedy in Tehran, the Flight 752, now confirmed by the Prime Minister, stating that multiple sources have confirmed that most likely 752 was brought down by surface-to-air missiles that the Prime Minister said may well have been unintentional. He says that he is continuing to work with allies to determine causes. Uh, he understands that Canadians have questions, questions that deserve answers. Here is just a taste uh, from the Prime Minister on the new intelligence. We have intelligence from multiple sources, including our allies and our own intelligence. The evidence indicates that the plane was shot down by an Iranian surface-to-air missile. This may well have been unintentional. This new information reinforces the need for a thorough investigation into this matter. Canada is working with its allies to ensure that a thorough and credible investigation is conducted to determine the causes of this fatal crash. So the Prime Minister went on to say how he has spoken to the uh, Minister Zarif in Iran about uh, the airstrikes, the Iranian strikes uh, that put Canadian forces in harm's way, how those have been condemned by our foreign affairs minister in their discussions. Also conversations the prime minister had with the Netherlands uh, to draw similarities to Malaysian flight 17 to learn from that process, how to get Canadian investigators to Iran to have access to the black boxes, to have the conversation about how this all came to be. Uh, one reporter, while the Prime Minister was taking questions from the gallery, asked specifically what information, what intel was provided and then confirmed by multiple sources to create such confidence in the fact that it was in fact a surface-to-air missile that brought down, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that brought down Flight 752. Here is what the Prime Minister said. Uh, the uh, intelligence and evidence uh, suggests that it is uh, likely that it was a surface-to-air strike, but I will not go into the details of that intelligence at this time. So that is the latest uh, from the Prime Minister. Again, 63 Canadians perished in flight 752, 13 of them British Columbians. Now the job is identification of those Canadians and bringing their remains back here to Canada, which you would think wouldn't be so much of a struggle, but yet in fact Canadians do not have uh, 
the proper setup of a consul in Iran. Haven't had such since 2012. No former diplom- formal, that is, diplomatic relations with Iran since 2012. So leaving it without an embassy. Uh, and that presence on the ground to offer support. So Global Affairs Canada is asking those seeking counselor assistance to look to Ankara, Turkey for that. Uh, Countries with diplomatic sway in Iran, including Italy, France, and Australia, the Prime Minister did reference that he has reached out to them and will be accepting assistance from all allies as Trudeau vows to find answer, closure, transparency, accountability, and consequence. The evidence indicates that the plane was shot down by an Iranian surface-to-air missile. This may well have been unintentional. That is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau speaking in Ottawa moments ago. The Prime Minister says intelligence from multiple sources indicates that an Iranian missile downed the Ukrainian International Airlines flight that crashed near Tehran on Wednesday. The crash killed all on board, including 138 people who were headed here to Canada. Trudeau says he knows the news will come as a shock to grieving families. Ukrainian officials have said a missile is on their list of potential causes for the crash. The plane crashed just minutes after taking off from Tehran's airport on Wednesday. What might the political ramifications of this be? Let's bring in R.L. Braun, a professor of international relations and political science at the University of Toronto and associate at the Davis Centre in Harvard. Thank you for being with us, Professor. Thank you. What do you uh, what does this statement by Prime Minister Trudeau that intelligence now multi-sourced indicating uh, surface-to-air missile down this uh, plane? How does that? What political ramifications might there be? First, it would seem that uh, it is uh, uh, not likely that the Prime Minister would come out with this kind of statement unless there was a high degree of confidence that, in fact. It was uh, an Iranian uh, uh, missile that brought down this aircraft. And uh, what it tells us is that Iran has acted in an extraordinarily reckless, or at the very least incompetent way, and uh, it has resulted in this horrific loss of life, including the lives of 63 Canadians. One of the things that the Prime Minister sort of qualified the initial statement that multiple sources had proven that it was likely a surface-to-air missile, he added it may well have been unintentional. How strategic is that statement? At this point, I think it was diplomatic, at the very least, to say that. And in fact, it um, probably was unintentional uh, because uh, any further accusations against Iran at this stage would have probably uh, affected negatively the possibilities of getting additional Iranian cooperation. You will notice that the prime minister kept repeating almost a kind of mantra that there is a need for a full and credible investigation. And this is one of the key problems that you may recall Iran originally claimed almost immediately after this tragedy that this was due to a mechanical problem And many began to question that. And it still has not, Iran, that is, the Tehran government, has not taken any kind of responsibility. There are some disturbing reports that uh, 
Iranian uh, forces are bulldozing the site to try to remove evidence. And uh, what we would like to see is indeed transparency and accountability and, as Prime Minister Trudeau said, justice as well. So uh, it would be wise uh, uh, for a Canadian Prime Minister to be as restrained as possible, even though I think uh, there probably is a great deal of anger, should be a great deal of anger, uh, at uh, Iran for uh, such an uh, action. But we would like Iran to cooperate. We would like them to allow uh, inspectors to go on site. We would like them to stop trying to hide evidence. And ideally, we would like them to release the black box or black boxes to the manufacturer that's Boeing because sharing uh, some of the information with the Ukrainians is not enough. They lack the expertise. There are very few countries that have the expertise to analyze these boxes. But even if uh, countries have that expertise, ultimately, in every major investigation, uh, it has been the case that these black boxes went back to the manufacturer, whether it was Airbus or Boeing. So that would be the goal now, as you have pointed out, to use restraint to not let emotions and tensions run high at this point to try and access uh, Iran, where former, formal diplomatic relations uh, broke down, you know, uh, eight years ago in 2012. There's been no embassy since then. How strategic or how, how will it unfold in, in your professional opinion in the days moving forward to try and access, as you said, the, the prime minister's want for answers and closure and transparency and accountability here? There are very important reasons why uh, relations broke down, and that was due to the actions of Iran. Uh, you will recall that we had a Canadian journalist uh, who died in prison in Iran, and we have claims against the Iranian government uh, uh, for various uh, actions that they have taken. So it wasn't that Canada was recalcitrant or that we were a- acting aggressively. It was the Iranian government that made it impossible for us to have those relations. But uh, uh, this concern that because we do not have diplomatic relations, that in and of itself would impede an investigation is not the case. You will again note that the prime minister said that our foreign minister uh, has already spoken directly with the Iranian foreign minister, Mr. Zarif. And we know that countries such as Italy have been acting as uh, intermediaries on our behalf and we have good relations with Ukraine, and they are helping us. So the lack of diplomatic relations is not a major issue at this point. The biggest issue is the willingness of Iran to cooperate and uh, a willingness on their part to accept responsibility. If this is indeed the case, it's not 100% for sure. But at this stage, it is hard to see uh, the Canadian Prime Minister going out on a limb without really solid in- intelligence. And he mentioned not only various intelligence sources from other countries, but also our own intelligence sources. So if Iran is responsible indeed, they need to be transparent, they need to take responsibility, they need to pay compensation. This is what uh, other countries have done when there was uh, an accident. And uh, they need to be open, not just because uh, we want to know all the facts, but it is also a matter of compassion in terms of the families of these victims. 
the longer Iran delays uh, uh, giving a full account and allowing a proper investigation, the longer uh, these uh, families have this additional suffering of not knowing exactly what happened to their loved ones. So Iran here has a chance to show that it is taking a different tack, that this was a mistake, that uh, it would admit that it was a mistake, take responsibility for that. It would show a level of openness, uh, and that could be very positive in some ways in terms of Iran's image. So if they were wise, they would do it. But in addition to that, it is a matter of human decency and compassion that they should try to help the families by providing the information and uh, having that uh, accountability. And typically in these situations where there is an air tragedy, the access to those black boxes goes to the the aviation builder, in this case Boeing, that Iran has said they will not be supplying Boeing with these black boxes. It would be unusual for Canada to be given access to it other than for the fact that so many Canadians were on board. And the next steps, as you said, to... Um, to keep in mind the victims' families is the identification and and retrieval of remains. That is a complex sort of equation between countries like Canada and Iran, is it not? It is, but uh, even when you don't have diplomatic relations, uh, apparently Iran uh, is going to allow consular officials who are now on their way to Turkey to uh, go to Iran uh, and uh, so the removal of remains, I think, that could be uh, worked uh, worked out. Um, but uh, in international law, the home country has a right to do the investigation, so Iran does have a right to, to do it. Uh, the country of origin of the aircraft also has certain rights, and that would be uh, Ukraine. And uh, um, we have been in touch with Ukraine, and we have been in touch also with uh, the Netherlands because they had the experience of suffering the loss of many of their citizens when uh, an airplane was shot down uh, over a rebel area uh, in in Ukraine. But in practical terms, even if Canada was given access, it does not seem that we have the level of expertise that is absolutely required for the most difficult cases. There are just a few countries that can do it. Britain is one. Germany is another one. France is another one. United States is. So even though we have very capable people, um, ultimately to have uh, the kind of uh, full, uh, incredible investigation that Prime Minister Trudeau talked about, it's hard to see how that could be achieved without full Iranian cooperation, including uh, allowing the manufacturer to directly access the box, uh, Iran stopping any activities that uh, are designed to hide evidence. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, the reports uh, that Iran is beginning to bulldoze the site is extremely disturbing. It does not indicate a positive intention uh, to cooperate. They have to reverse that because uh, uh, if they do not, then there will always be lingering questions. There will be no full satisfaction in terms of uh, uh, what happened, and uh, it uh, will be really terrible, especially for the families of all those uh, who have lost their lives in what uh, now seems to be on the basis of a great deal of evidence 
that uh, it was uh, uh, Iran that used surface-to-air missiles to shoot down this civilian unarmed aircraft. Professor Braun, thank you so much for taking some time for us today. You're welcome. Jody Vanson for Simi Sarah, continuing our coverage of the news that is breaking all day long about Flight 752 that went down uh, just outside of the Tehran airport. So many Canadians involved, 63 in all, 15 British Columbians, 176 dead in all. And now the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, saying that he has it on multiple sources that... It was likely a surface-to-air missile, an Iranian surface-to-air missile, was what brought 752 down. We connect now with Mary Schiavo, who is a transportation lawyer and former Inspector General of the U.S. Department of Transportation to the program for her insight and expertise. Mary, thank you for being with us. Thank you. It's good to join you. I'd like to know your thoughts. Prior to the announcement that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau uh, said uh, just within the last hour or so, um, when you were first hearing reports of 752 being downed and the Iranian government immediately saying it was mechanical while the Ukrainian government was saying it could be one of four things, including the possibility of an errant missile, what was your take on that? Well, my first thought was it impossible for the Iranian government to say it was a mechanical because the only evidence available at the time were, the, of course, the flight radar, which showed the aircraft climbing just as it should at the airspeeds as it should, gaining altitude. There was no mayday call. There was no turn back to the airport, as they said, because they would have requested air traffic control clearance back and called a mayday. And remember, the airline gets from the airplane. It sends it all by itself. The pilots don't have to do it. ACARS messages, if there's any malfunction on the plane, they would have gone back to the airline, and the airline would have gotten some messages from some parts of the plane if there were malfunctions. None of that occurred. So you knew whatever happened must have been catastrophic and immediate. Catastrophic and immediate, and um, also of of such a nature that it would leave no you know leave no traces that could be found on you know radar, air traffic control tapes, etc. And how I guess they are pivotal. Black boxes are always the center of an investigation. How pivotal or how horrible might it be that Boeing won't be able to get access to those black boxes recovered from seven five two? Well, actually, I I take a different opinion on that. Under Annex 13 of the International Civil Aviation Organization, part of the U.N., Boeing isn't supposed to get the black boxes. What's supposed to happen is the country who is in lead of the investigation, and that is the country where the plane crashed. So Iran is right to say under Annex 13, we're taking the lead. What they are supposed to do is get those boxes to a competent black box lab and this is hugely important because the lab has to be able to download that data without destroying it without damaging it and make sure they can get a complete download obviously canada has a terrific one tsb can do it they've done it many times britain france australia the u.s but they're not coming here and so the important thing is to get it to a competent lab and you know and by the way there are also private contractors that can do that some of them are canadians and so that's the key. It's not giving it to Boeing. It's getting it to competent people to download the information. Because not everybody knows that process. 
that's right. And so the people that spoke out first, you know, whoever in Iran said, we're not giving it back to Boeing, they really didn't know how the investigation works. So I hope that's not the person doing the investigation. And I doubt that it is because today they put out a preliminary report. They don't have to put out a report until 30 days under the ICAO rules. But in there, they put all countries on notice, including they didn't call it the USNTSB, but the National Transportation Safety Board. And they invited Ukraine in to participate in the investigation. And Ukraine knows a little bit something about this because they had MH17 shot down in their country and they worked with the Dutch investigators who are also very good. I forgot to mention them. Right. And Prime Minister Justin Trudeau did mention them because he has reached out to diplomats there to discuss any expertise, any advice that that might help Canada moving forward with Iran. Right. And all one has to do is literally just, you know, just just Google the, you know, Dutch investigation of MH17 and you will see a, re- a video recreation that the Dutch investigators did of how the missile struck that plane. Very instructive and the wreckage looks very much like this wreckage. So I think it was very wise of the Prime Minister to reach out to the Netherlands. Excellent move, I think. We're with Mary Schiavo, who's a transportation lawyer, former Inspector General of the U.S. Department of Transportation as well. Mary, what, in your professional opinion, might be next for victims in terms of the legalities surrounding this? Victims' families. The victims' families themselves actually have a very different track. Of all the people who are parties to an air crash investigation, believe it or not, the families of victims are not parties to the investigation. A huge mistake, I think, but that's what the law says. So for their part, they will have to reach out and hire private attorneys. They have a cause of action. Because the flight was headed to Canada, they actually have, under this same treaty, the Montreal Treaty, it's called, all aviation nations of the world, or most of them have signed on to that treaty. Canada has, the U.S. has. Everybody says it works by those rules. Uh, Canadian families have a recourse in the courts of Canada. Uh, courts of Canada have dealt with air disasters many, many times, um, and they're fully capable of doing it. So Iran is under uh, tremendous pressure because if they get this terribly wrong in the investigation or don't do a good one, that doesn't stop the families. The families can go to court and do their own investigation, and that's the way it works in the courts. You have to repeat the investigation anyway because you cannot bring government officials in from the Safety Investigation Board to testify for you. Can Iran be compelled to follow these rules and laws that you've been outlining for us here? Who, who might be in charge of ensuring that Iran follows these rules? Well, technically, they're supposed to follow the treaty. And of course, the treaties, uh, under most laws, treaties take precedence over domestic laws. So yes, uh, you can, in the International Court of Law, compel or try to compel them to follow the treaties. But the most important thing is going to be safeguarding the evidence. Mm -hmm. One, the evidence downloaded from the black boxes, which will determine whether or not there was an aircraft malfunction. If there's no aircraft malfunction, the next thing they've got to have which hopefully they're safeguarding, is the wreckage itself, because that's where the explosive residue will be found. And also on the bodies, and I'm, you know, great condolences, but the bodies will also contain evidence and may contain evidence of explosive residue. So it's highly important how that analysis is done as well. I understand those have been turned over to the Iranian examiners. But again, Canada should request uh, that they be present at the examination of the bodies as well. And Mary, we're hearing unconfirmed reports. Uh, Perhaps it's a a viral piece, but certainly reporters were asking Prime Minister Justin Trudeau about the rumours that there were bulldozers at the crash site. 
Um, sadly, that is something that absolutely should not be happening. There were also reports that some of the wreckage had already been cut up, and 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 that should not be happening. But sadly, as a you know, as a, a lawyer who's worked crash investigations at many places around the world, I have seen this happen many times. So countries will just bulldoze a wreckage site. It's terrible. You're supposed to prepare a grid, and every time you pick up a piece, mark on the grid where you've gotten it and safeguard that evidence. Obviously, put it in in secure evidence bags, et cetera. But sadly, I have seen that crashes around the world where the site gets bulldozed. I mean, they couldn't even be sure at this point that they have gotten all the remains. It is one of those... um Tragedy upon tragedy with controversy on top of it here. What can we expect in the next coming days? How important are the two videos that are circulating now that are seem to be the basis for uh, the multiple sources confirming the possibility of m- possible unintentional surface-to-air missiles bringing this plane down? Right. I mean, those videos are important, but the conclusive evidence will be the residue on the uh, on the aircraft and more important, the military radar and the air traffic control uh, radar. The military radar data will show if they're willing to share it. Now, it's really tough to get that. I mean, if, for example, in the, Mala- in the case of Malaysia, it took years in court to get that some of that data. But the military radar will show what happened. The air traffic control radar should uh, and data tape should would should shed light as well. But again, if you test the wreckage and there's missile residue, there's your conclusion. So, what can we expect from the investigation in the coming days? Where are we at now? Where are we going? Well, the, Iran has said that they're going to competently download the black boxes and make it public. And again, that comports with the treaty. The treaty says you're supposed to open a factual docket and the factual evidence is supposed to be posted on the factual docket. And at 30 days, you're supposed to do the initial preliminary factual report. And they've said they were able to download it now. They're downloading it now. So, so the truth is in the telling. So if they post the downloads from the black boxes now ordinarily on the cockpit voice recording it's only a transcript because they respect the right to the voices of the pilots you know for their families so they do a transcript of the cvr but the flight data recorder looks kind of like um uh you know tracings from your doctor from an ekg and there will be a probably a thousand lines of code anyone can read it once it's downloaded and posted there will be a Persons all over the world, uh, experts that will try to decipher what happened, and Canada has a lot of them. So if that is truly posted, as Iran says they're going to do, Canada can fully and competently do its own investigation, and should and will. Mary Skiavo, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I've been telling you since 10 o'clock this morning of the 176 dead, uh, 138 were connecting to Canada, 63 aboard were Canadians, 13 were British Columbians. They called here home. And we've been talking about the technicalities and the investigation and what the Prime Minister is saying, what the international community is saying, what the law says. But the unimaginable for most of us is the reality for our next guest. It is with condolences that I welcome Araz Rishmani to the program, a close friend of the Porco Quitlam family who perished in this crash. Araz, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. I don't even know where to begin, so why don't you tell us how you found out? 
Um, yeah, so uh, you know, it was just this morning that I was uh, following the news around this, and uh, you know, I was reading that U- U.S. intelligence has um, has indicated that uh, there was a missile that actually hit the plane. I mean, it was a tragedy until yesterday. It becomes a devastating tragedy today. Um, it's supposed to be the motherland for 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 the immigrants uh, from that country, but uh, the motherland definitely was not nice to them this time. Can you tell us about your your friends so that they aren't just numbers? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Adelan and uh, and his family, so his son and his wife, uh, traveled back home to visit uh, their immediate family members. Uh, Adelan was a successful engineer, head engineer here, uh, built uh, uh, projects and a lot of infrastructure projects in Tri-City and Metro Vancouver. Uh, his wife was a graduate of a uh, teaching program and was uh, planning to actually start teaching in the school system. Um, um, and then their son, 15, 16-year-old, um, you know, definitely had the spirit of dad and mom and, um, and the work that he did and the volunteering that he did actually in the community from early age. There's so it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's so sad that, you know, uh, you lose uh, great people like that. And, but I'm sure there are other families. There's so many families that are impacted by this tragedy. How can we best honor this family, this tragedy? Yeah, I was actually thinking about this because it's mixed feelings to talk about this in media. But, uh, you know, what I, what I, the conclusion that I came to was, uh, indeed, if Adlon was uh, was uh, here, he would have wanted us to talk about this. So I think uh, making sure that the message gets out, um, people get right information. Um, also, you know, honoring their, their memories, uh, you know, gathering with their immediate family members, uh, you know, sympathizing with them and uh, just being around to to help those who are really suffering, you know, loss of immediate family members. I think that's the best we can do. I have to say, like, for many, many Canadian friends that I have, I mean, there has been a lot of expression of, uh, you know, just um, expressions that I've received in terms of how sorry people feel about this tragedy. So I really appreciate that. We're with Araz Rishmani, who's a close friend of the Port Coquitlam family who perished in this crash, a family of three. And in fact, Ardalan must have really inspired uh, the speaking out, not just in his close friends, but also in his family, because his brother-in-law is going to join us uh, after the news. But I wanted to, to, to continue our conversation just a little bit in terms of the Iranian community here. As you said, you know, there is an outpouring, there is a feeling of support, there is a want to honor uh, so many incredible um, people who are Canadians who may have been born in Iran, and we, we just feel your loss. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I have to say, like, you know, Canadians have been um, awesome uh, in many, many ways, uh, you know, throughout the years in terms of, you know, their reception uh, to, to immigrants in general. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's no longer immigrants and Canadian-born. I think we are all the same community, one community. Uh, we care for one another, and in, in sad times, we actually um, support one, uh, support each other. So, um, you know, there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of confusion because, I mean, this has got uh, an element, a political element attached to it in terms of the escalation between U.S. and Iran and how that impacted this. So there are mixed feelings, feelings in people. There are questions to be answered yet. Uh, but certainly one of the things that uh, people are, are not so happy about is the fact that the Iranian government um, has not shown any acknowledgement of this mistake, and rather they have just decided not to give the black box to, you know, um, qualified authorities to check. 
which will be the next steps here. And uh, we will continue to bring coverage of that for you. Araz, thank you very much for taking time out for us today. We do very much appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your covering of this. Jody Vanson for Simi Sarah, continuing our coverage of the tragedy uh, in Tehran. Flight 752. Now, we've talked about the technical. We've talked about the political. We've talked about the investigation pieces. But the Ukrainian Airlines Flight 752 was a tragedy because of the lives lost, obviously. 63 Canadians. 63 Canadians perished on that flight. 138 of the people on board of that 176 were connecting to Canada. People coming for weddings, people coming for school, people coming for so many reasons. 13 of those were from right here in British Columbia. And we're hoping to connect now with um, someone who has felt the personal experience of this. We're, We're efforting to get Mahmoud on the line, uh, we will. But I want to tell you what, what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said earlier. You've likely heard the details of how multiple sources, uh, the Prime Minister confirmed that multiple sources have now said that it was very likely a surface-to-air missile that brought down this flight and that it may have been unintentional. So the next steps are the investigative side. As I've said, we've talked to experts on those topics, looking for answers, looking for closure, looking for transparency in Iran from officials there. But lost in all of that part of the conversation is the humanity of the loss behind the numbers, the statistics. And it is with great respect and gratitude that we welcome Mahmoud Reza Mivechi to the show to talk about the very real human side of these numbers. Mahmoud Please accept our deepest condolences. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, we are deeply uh, sad right now, and uh, we lost uh, very uh, uh, closest uh, family, the lovely family. Also. Uh, and uh, right now, we are. Uh, it's, it, it's a terrible, it's a huge catastrophe for all of our, my family members right now. And uh, but uh, I can't believe it. But. We have to actually, God bless ours. Indeed, and our hearts break for you. Um, I feel raw in asking you questions, but I feel that perhaps we can celebrate the family lost. Yes. Uh, uh, before the, I don't know, went to Iran, one of the main purpose to, to uh, going to my country is that it is to celebrate the eight years birthday of his father. And uh, 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 this is the reason that uh, Adelan went to Iran with his family. And uh, also the uh, seeing the, the relatives and also, and um, as far as I know, he went to the other place to, to take the, uh, to uh, visit the pleasure sites and the other uh monuments or something and uh, they had very good time in Iran and uh, they uh, I think would almost uh, hours before the, he uh, uh, he get on the, the plane he uh, talked to my my wife, uh, wife sister sister-in-law talked to my wife and 
she was they are they were very happy to to come back to to Canada but uh, unfortunately this crash uh, uh, was happened and uh, all of us right now uh, we are very regretful about that and uh, we are not okay you must be in great shock you said Ardalan and his family went for an 80th birthday have you have you spoken to his father yes right now he was he is very bad he, you, you know this is elderly and uh, Ardalan is the uh, is the biggest is the first son of oh. his his uh, family uh, because Ardalan has two other brothers and one sister and uh, and he's the the, the major uh, children of his family and uh, you know the, the first children uh, is the 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 the, uh, the big support of uh, each family and uh, not only the uh, the the Hamidi families but also all of us lost the huge support so uh, yeah that's it how do we honor your brother-in-law? Pardon me. How how might we honor him and his family? Uh, sometimes we're calling. We have, uh, right now a few couple minutes ago. I talked, I talked to my father-in-law in Iran, and right now he's preparing to uh, to, to to take the their funeral and uh, uh, to take the memorial uh, the session for them and. Uh, I can't, uh, you know, uh, I can't describe what is the situation right now in my family right now. But all, generally speaking, we are not good, all at all. Mahmoud, I thank you for, for sharing with us and bringing thank us the, the human story behind this. And we wish your family healing and comfort and answers and closure. Thank you. Very much. Thank you.